Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. And good evening and welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour um, and it's session five, series six. I can't believe I'm saying that already. And uh, I'd like to welcome you. My name is Sue MacDonald. I'm the curator for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour and also the Maternity and Midwifery Festivals. And it's my pleasure, it's my great pleasure this evening. I always say that, but it always is, um, to be chairing this evening's session. And we're joined by the wonderful two wonderful speakers. I'm really looking forward to hearing what they're going to say. Um, the first is uh, Professor Mary Steen, Professor of Nursing Midwifery and Health at Northumbria University, and Elizabeth Duff, Senior Policy um, Advisor at the NCT. Now, of course, what we always do to our guests is get them to come up with a little moment of the week. So I'm going to put you on the spot. First of all, Mary, I think, your moment of the week. Moment of the week, getting locked in uh, <laughs> in my new job wasn't it in the in my new department and not knowing the security number so that was the moment of my week (laughs) perhaps not the most positive moment but it might have been knowing you you probably found it very entertaining to problem solve I had to sort it out because I had to get out I didn't really want to stay here all night (laughs) no (laughs) that's a good one Mary thank you how about Elizabeth I think I'm going to say my moment of the week, we are only on Wednesday, is just about to come because at about two minutes past eight when I'm finished here, I'm going off to the pub to see my daughter doing stand-up comedy. Wow. So um, this is... uh, this is how postnatal care ends. You never stop being a parent, do you? So. <laughs> 30 fun. years later, you have to go out in the dark and the cold and laugh a lot. <laughs> I think the laughing a lot would be very good. Very medicinal, very medicinal and very uh, uplifting for you. And I think that's fantastic. So we'll aim to finish at, at eight. Please. So those of you who are wanting to ask questions, get them in early if you can. Now, you know, I always start by just welcoming you and just reminding you that where we came from. And the Maternity and Midwifery Hour began with the pandemic because we wanted to really have an opportunity for midwives, for student midwives, for mums, for aspiring midwives to really get together and get information in sort of digestible form because you you didn't have and we haven't had as much access to -to face-to-face conferences and festivals. So we've been able to bring everyone together every week, which has been fantastic. We've had a bit of of information, quite a bit of debate and discussion. And this means there's a massive, great archive of information and fantastic presentations. And this is supported by Matflix, who hold all the data and all the recordings. And if you want to access anything, it's free to access. You can get sort of box sets so it's all organised, but you can also get singular uh, sessions. So you can do, if you're doing a project or you're doing an assignment for study, or 
you're doing a bit of revalidation, it's a very good source of information. It's really up to date, up to the minute with some fantastic people that we've had. And you can share it. So if you listen tonight and you're inspired, please wait for your box set to come sometime at the end of the week, maybe early next week. Share it with your colleagues. Have, it, have, a, have a listen over coffee and have a discuss because that's the whole purpose of this. And at the same time, I'd just like to say a big thank you to the wonderful practicing midwife, to Sheila and Anna Byron, who also support the maternity hour. And Sheila and Anna will be coming along to the 23rd of February to look after the, the, the hour. So, and they're really looking forward to that, I know. So I want to say a big thank you to everyone in the maternity services tonight, everyone who is working so hard to support their colleagues and the mothers and babies and families. And, and it's a difficult time because we've still got the ends of COVID. I know it, it sometimes feels it's over, but it's still there. And still people are unwell and needing care and they're still unwell and meaning other people have to cover shifts. So thank you to everyone who's doing that in whatever setting you're in. Um, and also to say, to just to remind you, people are very tired. And I know that I was in the unit on Monday and people did look tired and it's stressful. And we're all balancing and, and doing our usual juggling a million things at once. It's important to look after yourselves. And there's lots and lots of resources available as ever. And in fact, tonight you've got a bumper crop of resources and references so do access those and, and have a look at some of the things that will, might be helpful. One of my favourites, I always have this. I love this. This is from the Action for Happiness um, website. And it's a little calendar for February. This is February. And today, you, you each, each day you have something to do. And today it's to thank someone and tell them they made a difference for you. And that each day you have a little thing to do. And they're very positive and very affirmational. I don't know if that's a word, but that's what they are. So have a go at doing that. That's, there's, a, there's a reference on that, the reference list to that. Okay. Now, the other thing is, my, I just want to share my favorite tweet. And this is from Andrew Shannon. Many of you will know uh, Andrew, who's a, an obstetrician, OBE. And he just put a, a, a tweet on today, and I thought it was really nice because he said, 30 years ago, a midwife taught me that reassurance should go hand in hand with elucidating, I probably haven't said the word correctly, risk when counselling. Last night, I was emailed and someone thanked me for reassuring her during an admission from 18 years ago. Small effort, big impact impact let's not forget how scary it must be and I think that's really important for, for us as midwives students to remember for the mothers and families that we're looking after and I know I'm hoping there's going to be a few mums and and families out there this evening as well listening in so welcome to you as well I almost forgot now I also need to to just highlight the other thing that's on our reading list I feel just like a proper teacher now is the um Chief Midwife Officer's Bulletin for January, February. It is packed. It is packed. There's about 11 pages of lots of updated information and really, really useful. So she's just reported that the stillbirth rate's been reduced by 25% over the last few, few um, couple of years, which is fantastic. There's lots of news on the situation regarding staff vaccination. I know the mandatory 
element was removed last week, but it's there's still things to think about. Um, and we're still using, obviously, in, in clinical settings, face coverings and masks and keeping up with, I think it's now a metre social distancing. We're meant to be encouraging women to have their boosters if they have had their first two vaccines. So remember that. Um, and there's a, a whole section on continuity of care, which is also being discussed a little on Twitter at the moment. And there's a really good section from Trixie Macquarie, who you'll remember, who was with us a few weeks back um, about the continuity of care and how it's progressing and, and what the, the sort of building blocks of that are. Really good, really useful. Also, if there's anyone green out there, and I don't mean Shrek, I mean, if you want to do something interesting with a, an ecological hat, hat on, um, there's also an opportunity for a clinical fellow scheme to support a greener NHS. How fab is that? So have a look at, you must, you must go and have a look at this bulletin. It's fantastic. There's also um, a, a report on student numbers. Student numbers are up and there's also leadership and management programs being made available for midwives in the service, which is fantastic. Uh, also, the other big thing is a report back from equity and equality work. And that's also really important for us to be aware of, especially with the sort of five times more issue. We need to know about this from all facets of what we do. OK, on to lighter things. It's this month, it's Boost Your Self-Esteem Month. So I think that's very important for us all to do. Give ourselves a little pat on the back or a skin a sandwich. And that is give yourself something positive, do the negative, then the positive. So it's a proper sandwich that's being positive. Um, it's also apprenticeship week. So I'll say a big shout out for any apprentices checking in today. Hi to you. Um, it's sexual abuse and violence awareness week. That's not quite as positive, but you'll notice a lot of activities locally and nationally focusing on this and, and making people more aware of the issues. Like, for example, being aware of noticing if your children become withdrawn and that sort of thing. So that's just a snippet to think about. And also the ninth, it's National Toothache Day. Now, that sounds very negative as someone who doesn't like dental um, dentists very much well I like them but I don't like going to them I go <laughs> I just want to say that so the, but this is a day to think about preventing toothache so you get your checkup and also make sure that women that you're caring for pregnancy and childbearing and breastfeeding in particular know about their right to care and also about the facets of their treatment now the breastfeeding network has got a great fact sheet and again that's on our resource sheet so really useful so hopefully you've got some bedtime reading for, for everybody. So I'm going to move on swiftly to the main meat of this evening. Now, we, we've looked at over the last few weeks, we've looked at personalised care and then we looked at the little preterm baby cuddles last week, which was lovely. And we're now, now coming to postnatal care and we're saying, who cares? Do we care? We've got two fantastic speakers and for whom both of them are passionate about postnatal care. I know that very close to their hearts. And I just want to say we, we often as midwives take postnatal care for granted. Some people, midwives find it a bit boring. I always have found it lovely and, and exciting. A lot of things you can do with women and babies at this point. But for the new mother, it's a culmination of their pregnancy, childbirth. It's a, that, that's a real focus for them. And we kind of 
all of ports say we kind of sometimes leave them to it and it can be a very difficult time and women may need a bit more additional support and a bit of nurturing and so does she get it that's a question for you so I'm going to to be joined by Elizabeth Duff now Elizabeth Duff is the senior policy advisor at the NCT National Childbirth Trust she's also held uh, roles at the Royal College of Midwives the International Confederation of Midwives and the Alante Trust so she is well known by midwives and she's now since she's been at the NCT She's done, she's doing sterling work there, of course, and she's very passionate about postnatal care, very close to her heart. So I'm really so pleased she's with us. She also, I have to say, I love this bit. She describes herself as an unconstructed, unreconstructed 1970s feminist. She's also a stakeholder on the Maternity Transformation Council. I don't know how she fits it all in, but she's fit as us in this evening. So welcome, Elizabeth. The screen is yours. Thank you very much, Sue. What a lovely introduction. And I know the way you said earlier that you um, loved doing postnatal care when you were a frontline midwife. And uh, that's lovely to hear. Um, obviously, I never have been a midwife, but I do feel that would have been such a wonderful time, if, especially if you've been able to offer continuity of care to the woman you've cared for during pregnancy and then see the baby come out and see the two being cared for together. Um, that seems to me a lovely thing to be doing. Anyway, let's get on to my screens. There we are. I hope you can see my title, Who Cares About Postnatal Care? And Blood, Sweat and Tears, Mothers, Bodily Fluids and Patriarchal Distaste for Postnatal Issues. I'm going to start quickly with a real story from a friend of mine who had two babies around the same time as I did quite a few years ago now, but I don't think much has changed. She told me in the first few days of her first baby's life. She was home from hospital. She was asleep at night, but woke to hear the baby crying. She went to pick the baby up and uh, sat down in a chair to feed her little daughter. Uh, she started feeding and the milk was coming out all right, so that was good, but her other breast started producing milk so she could feel that wetness down her front. The baby while feeding, as often happens, decided to have a really big wee and started leaking out of the nappy. So there was a bit more dampness on her lap. As again often happens in the early days when you feed, the uterus contracts and you lose a bit more of the blood and lochia that comes out at that time. Another thing that happens sometimes with a feed is a little bit of a hot flush. So she started sweating. All these bodily fluids, and she was beginning to think this means an awful lot of washing and probably new clothes and new bed making tomorrow, and felt like bursting into tears and then thought, I don't think we can cope with any more fluids here and managed to hold those tears back. But I'm wondering if these ring any bells with people I'm talking to tonight who've had babies or cared for women at that quite intimate time and heard about very similar stories. So 
I've taken you back. Look, uh, where are we? 180 years. No, 280 years. <laughs> this is a lovely German etching. Great detail there. It's called Lying in After Childbirth. And it's talking about the uncleanliness of the mother after giving birth with a quotation from the Christian Bible, uh, Book of Leviticus, if anyone wants to look it up. Um, stating that a mother should be considered unclean for 40 days after giving birth to a boy and for 80 days after giving birth to a girl. Um, tonight, I'm not going to be going into that difference between a boy and a girl, though we might want to wonder why. But what it does show is the woman um, looks though she's in a tent or she's in a special place. Uh, she's being visited by women. She's still in bed after some time and food has been brought to her. There are children around, but um, she's not in public uh, and there don't appear to be any women around. So those two or 300 years ago, we're looking at a number of themes that seem to be reflected elsewhere. I've looked I acknowledge quite superficially at uh, some literature from a number of other faiths, looking around these themes about impurity or uncleanliness or um, care during a pollution period, which were the words used um, looking at Hinduism. Um, in some Jewish communities, women visit the mother four to six weeks uh, after childbirth. Mother would be in a special room. It mentions sitting in a, in a decorated triangle, which um, I find quite intriguing and I'd love to see a picture of. But the point is that there's a certain amount of her being set apart and special. More about seclusion and uncleanliness is mentioned in some of the literature um, in Islam for Muslim women. And in Christianity, certainly in Europe, um, there's been a ceremony called the churching of women after childbirth, originally to do with purification, these days looked on much more as a blessing on the mother and baby. So uh, I've written here, these notes will not refer to everything that's happening these days, nor by all followers of those faiths. But what I want to highlight is the themes of impurity, of seclusion away from the public, um, and um, women looking after other women in their early postnatal weeks. And whether we are still keeping these in our heads and what people's reactions are to them, I think there are some quite uh, significant thoughts to be had about why postnatal care is the way it is today. Here's a contrast. According to the media, and these sort of pictures, I think, will be pretty well known to many of you. Uh, I've put duchesses are not unclean and they don't merit seclusion. Uh, the Duchess of Cambridge here, and that's after her first baby, is managing to look gorgeous and very happy, which is great. But you'll see that the media focus is on what she's wearing, whether it refers back to what her, um, the late Princess of Wales wore after Prince William's birth and so on. There is nothing here about seclusion or uncleanliness. Uh, her lovely dress looks as clean as maybe, though I really hope she went home and took it off and got into an old Barry <laughs> Jim Jam straight away. So, um, 
We've talked about these issues and their seclusion was obviously thought to be quite a good thing, as long as there was contact with people who could provide care and provide some of the wisdom from um, perhaps older women who'd had babies themselves. What happened over the last couple of years? We had a COVID-19 pandemic. New parents were isolated from their family, friends and other contacts they may have made during pregnancy. And at the NCT where I work, we had a huge amount of really distressing feedback from new mums who were unable to make use of those contacts, see their family or see their friends. And particularly uh, among other problems, they didn't have those intimate conversations with other new mums where they could talk about these um, bodily fluids that we've already talked about were they losing a lot of blood? Were they able to have a wee when they wanted to? Were they sweating a lot? Uh, how was the milk coming in? All the things that are messy and intimate and not always easy to talk about, except when you're talking to your peers in those early weeks. What we are, were able to do, fortunately, at NCT was organise a lot, 50,000 plus of walk and talk groups out of doors where women were allowed to meet and to a certain extent able to have those conversations which were really welcomed and uh, described as a lifeline by many women. I've put a lot of words on the next uh, couple of slides and you probably won't be able to read them all. Um, but you can see, I hope, what I'm doing here is looking at in much more detail at the fluids that I've been referring to. And this first slide talks about the blood, the sweat and the tears, obviously a well-known phrase, but perhaps surprisingly significant. On the left hand side, there is information basically saying that losing these fluids is normal. There's a lot of variation on different websites about how much you may expect to be losing blood um, or crying. It's normal to have the baby blues. It's not normal to be unable to stop crying and that's a sign of postnatal depression. My column over on the right-hand side is looking at when loss of these fluids is not normal and there's some very significant risks of primary or secondary postpartum hemorrhage with uh, too much blood um, the RCOG says you may need to go to hospital, you may be given antibiotics through a drip, you may need an operation. There are considerable risks. Too much sweating could indicate an infection and those are quite frequent. Um, not always very serious, but the most serious is sepsis, something that must not be missed. And tears, of course, can mean postnatal depression, another thing that is quite common and responds well to treatment. So women need to raise those, um, those concerns. I've gone on here. Again, I'm not going to go through everything here. There are many other fluids not often talked about. Nobody really wants to hear your stories about urine, vomit and pus, um, but they are significant when either you, you can't um, pass the urine that you need to in the early days or later on you may find too much is coming out when you're not expecting it. Um, signs of incontinence need to be treated. 
Vomiting. I I was surprised by this, but I was um, uh, looking it up. Uh, vomiting after the birth can be a sign of preeclampsia, uh, which can develop for the first time in the first four weeks. Um, not again insignificant. Needs treatment. Needs um, attention from a healthcare professional. Pass oozing from a womb, a horrible thing that, that nobody really wants to see or to talk about or to smell. But when it's a sign of infection, you need to get treatment again. I looked at the National Maternity Audit. 4.4% uh, of mothers are experiencing unplanned maternal readmission to hospital. And most of those are because of a surgical site having a wound infection does not want to be left untreated there. But of course, going back to hospital is very disruptive, very worrying and unpleasant. Um, I've added in breast milk and colostrum. These are good things to have if you're planning to breastfeed, but of course, um, not enough or too much in the early days can be worrying and or inconvenient. So these are anxieties for women during their postnatal weeks. Very briefly again, uh, some of the very many comments from women um, during the, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, women experiencing poor mental health and feeling deeply anxious, not felt supported, feeling the system had completely failed them, some really, really worrying feedback. Um, others who just hadn't had any care at all had managed to fall through the safety net of all kinds of the different people providing postnatal care. And another very sad story for more women who'd had a caesarean section. We do 200,000 of these every year these days. Nobody seemed to know who was going to take her stitches out. Um, I, I found this very depressing that she had literally to walk from pillar to post, GP surgery, hospital, um, couldn't get um, uh, unconflicting information about it. And eventually the nurse at her GP surgery did it. Should not have to happen. Because we have a lack of quality in postnatal care. And I do not find many people arguing against that. This is an old bit of a conclusion, but again, it's very uh, commonly quoted, the principal dimensions of quality care, safety, effectiveness, and being person-centered, woman-centered in this case, we usually say. Um, is it safe? Well, a lot of postnatal care is safe in that the woman survives, but unfortunately where there are maternal deaths, low numbers of them, uh, thankfully, but not reducing over the last few years, and about 70% of them occur in the postnatal period. We will not reduce those deaths um, in the national safety ambition until postnatal care improves. We know it can't be effective. Uh, very little is audited. Very little research is carried out into the whole postnatal service. So we don't have up-to-date evidence of what exactly it should be. It's clearly not uh, found to woman's satisfaction. Every big survey finds that it's, it's the least satisfying part of the maternity journey for women. And mainly because of the fragmentation Midwifery care is handed over from the hospital to the community, is then handed over to the health visitor, and somewhere around the six to eight week 
mark women should get, and it is funded and it is mandated, a check with their GP. But they still don't all get it. And some of them fall through a gap. This is a quote from Professor Marion Knight of Embrace UK, where they hold confidential inquiries into maternal deaths and Marion's repeated conclusions over many years show that what we are not providing for women is joined up care. There is a lack of responsibility and accountability. Care is not being coordinated. And that's why she says, mind the gap, because it can be absolutely tragic when people fall through. That was a rather downbeat slide and not surprisingly talking about maternal deaths, um, which are always awful to read about. Uh, this is nearly my last slide. I'm going back to that um, rather depressing phrase about postnatal care being called the Cinderella service. And I, my call is to get Cinderella into the palace because that means postnatal action. It needs leadership, it needs accountability, it needs continuity, and of course, like every part of the service, it needs equity so that every woman gets the care she needs and can become the parent that she wants to be. Thank you very much for listening. It's been a pleasure to be here tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. You've given us a, a lot to think about. You've given us, I love the idea of 50,000 women walking and talking because that makes makes me feel that you were actually very busy making sure women were getting a good service um, but you have given us a few challenges for the future and I think it would be fantastic if we can get Cinderella that postnatal care both her glass slipper but also I'm fancying the palace as well so thank you so much looking Fabulous. forward to some questions <laughs> Now, if you have any questions for Elizabeth, you just need to pop them in the chat box round about now and we'll um, deal with those at the end of the session. And I'm very pleased to welcome Professor Mary Steen, Professor of Nursing, Midwifery and Health at uh, Northumbria University. She's just returned from Australia, so we've got a hot off the plane practically. Mm -hmm. um, she was also a professor there. She's a visiting professor at Chester, University of Port Harcourt in Nigeria and the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil. She's worked at the ERCM. She's been all over the place as Mary. Many of you will know Mary and especially when she starts talking you'll know Mary very well. So welcome to you. She's got huge interest in women's health, always has as far as as long as I've known her and she's going to take us on a little bit of a journey and that's going to go into the past, the present and the future. So welcome Mary and the screen is yours. Thank you and thank you everyone that's taken the time to actually um, come this um, evening um, in the UK and I know there is some international as well so thank you for actually attending. As you can see uh, building on from what Elizabeth spoke about and Sue postnatal care but obviously I've only got a short period of time so we can only do a glimpse. So I'll start. Postnatal care then. Let's look at the concept of postnatal care. It's to assist a mother, her baby and the family towards obtaining optimum health and well-being status. And I've put well-being status in because it's just as important as the health. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in this discussion. So what does that mean, what we're doing? Well, women's bodies 
have to recover sufficiently to return to a non-pregnant status. And the baby is healthy and thriving, feeding well, and there is a developing secure attachment. So the definition, this does vary, but it's a period of time following birth which care and support is given. Um, I won't really go into too much of the history because Elizabeth has covered um, that, but usually in many cultures it is around 40 days. However, it can take much longer. You only have to look at Deborah Bick's work, uh, Julie Ray when she's around, Carol Bradshaw, who, oh sorry, Bedwell, and they listened to women and looked, and they would say really about a year. And when you think about it, I've done a lot of service development projects about around maternal health and well-being, and particularly around musculoskeletal, which we haven't mentioned, the relaxing hormone. It can take a good six months, and we have to be aware of this when women complain of bad backs um, and, and issues. And I remember my midwifery mentor saying to me, Mary, nine months, the pregnancy, why do we push women? And I think as a researcher, it's like a histogram. It does take that time to go back to non-pregnant status. Okay, then. So just quickly, historically, the rite of passage. Now, I want you to look not from, I know I'm in, we're back, I'm in the UK now, and yes, we'll look at it nationally, but I want you to have much more of an international lens around postnatal care. And postnatal care was and is a key strategy to reduce maternal and newborn mortality and morbidity. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that shortly. There are differences and commonalities within societies and cultures that we have to consider. But basically, I'm building on what Elizabeth was saying and what Sue picked up on. It's much around rest period, the nurturing of women. Food, they have mentioned food, and yes, foods that are encouraged and foods that are prohibited. There's a lot around food, social seclusion, and that's really like protective rituals and to prevent infections, and obviously around personal hygiene. But very importantly, the celebration of a new social status. And I was just thinking about this today. When I was educated and trained to be a midwife in the mid-80s, it was the joy of birth and afterwards and going to see them. Now I hear a lot of fear. And I was saying, how are we going to go back to that joy of birth? The emphasis as well is on avoiding ill health in later life. That is our public health role. And that is historically there. So what I have actually quoted and said before, and I've had many discussions with Sue Down about this, the importance of mothering the mother. Now, you can see this slide here, and I'm using slides that women that I have actually been, it's been an honour to their birth or I've cared for them. And this is a home birth in South Australia. But look at the family around her. Her sister is in the water with her in her bather. She is a shamanic midwife. And I had to actually look that up, I'll to say, with a spiritual approach. But look how the mother is being mothered. And that is the start of postnatal care. And she's giving kangaroo care, very importantly. And the young niece, I was thinking, oh, I think we've got a midwife um, there in future. 
So let's reflect on the past, learning the cues. This is me back in 1986. I know you'll be trying to work my age out now. But I was um, a student midwife, as you can see with my little hat on. And I didn't know this photograph was being taken. It was being taken by the father. This is where I was learning to be with woman, not doing to the woman, being with woman, very importantly. And look at that secure attachment that we're talking about. A nice, quiet, tranquil home setting. It was my first home birth. And I was there sharing this experience with the woman. And the mother is there focusing on the baby and the babies is focusing on mum. And it is a beautiful moment there that was captured um, and, and not, neither of us actually knew. And we built up that trust and rapport through antenatal care, birth and then postnatally. So we will reflect on the present then. And I did say we would just go through a glimpse because the presentation is short. I mentioned maternal mortality and morbidity, and this does shock me. Remember through the international lens, lifetime risk of maternal death in well-developed industrialized countries, one in 4,000 versus one in 51 in countries that are classified as least developed. So that's in your low and middle resource countries. Yes, um, postnatal period, life-threatening conditions do occur, and this is the causes for a lot of these maternal deaths through hemorrhage, thromboembolism, infection, eclampsia. They are greater risks. But also in the Western world and the developing countries, yes, our mortality rates have gone down. However, our morbidity is there and has gone up. And we do have maternal mental health problems and we have had an increase in infections as well. It is noteworthy, though, when we're looking at postnatal care and we're saying today, tonight, who cares? Most maternal deaths occur in the first month following birth. And nearly half are within the first 24 hours. Then two thirds occur in that first week. It is vitally important that women around the world get care particularly in that first week following birth. And what is really um, important that many of these maternal deaths are preventable. And we'll go back to about women's place in society. We engaging and educating girls is vital to improve maternal health and well-being, particularly in low and middle resource countries. And then yes, education is is key. As they always say, you educate a woman, you educate a society. There's no bias there, of course. <laughs> so WHO in 2014 recommended then, because of the maternal mortality and morbidity rates, in low to middle resource countries, provide postnatal care in the first 24 hours. And that includes a clinical examination undertaken within the first hour of birth. Here in the high developed countries, we take that for granted. In many countries, this does not happen for many women, but it is now, it's recommended. If there has been a home birth, the first postnatal contact should be as early as possible. They also recommend extra contact in that first 24 to 48 hours. 
is desirable. Sometimes we can't reach women. And yes, we do live in a digital world now in the 21st century. So mobile phone-based postnatal care contacts have been recommended. Also telehealth. And we know that we actually can do it. And I just got back from Australia. And if the women are in the outback or in the rural areas, telehealth sometimes um, has, will happen. But ideally, four postnatal contacts are recommended. And I've just been listening, obviously, to the examples that Elizabeth gave. And I know in the Sunday Times only this week, women have been there and it's been on Twitter that they've been left on a postnatal ward. Is there one midwife or two midwives that are working on that postnatal ward with how many women, how many babies? Even the lodgers, as we used to say, the babies that are going to be adopted, all that workload. I ask a question for the discussion, postnatal care in a, in a ward, or are we better if there is no problems to actually go home from birthing units and labour and ward to a family and to peers and to community, which is historically what has happened. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about family inclusive care. So we have the nice guidelines, don't we? Um, we're, we're fortunate to have um, an independent health service that looks at the evidence. I know SIGN do um, guidelines in Scotland, mm -hmm. and I know Australia do look at some of our guidelines, but they don't actually have a specific health authority independent that actually does look at the evidence. And they do recommend routine postnatal care for women and babies, and they say should receive eight weeks after the birth. And that involves the organisation and the delivery of identifying common problems that Elizabeth has discussed, but more serious problems, but also how to help parents form strong relationships with their babies and recommendations on emotional attachment and baby feeding. This is um, one of the mums that I cared for um, in Australia. And look at the kangaroo care. Look at, again, that important moment of mother and baby, they shouldn't be separated. And I will discuss that because this has happened during this COVID pandemic. So postnatal care in high resource countries, and this is one of the families that um, I had the honor to meet and to discuss um, their plans and the care that they were going to have postnatally. And this is in the Emirates. This is in Rosh al -Khaimah. And I put that up because look, look at the proud, look at the joy of that baby, the new status that I was talking about early. Um, however, in high resource countries, as Elizabeth said, it's often referred to as the Cinderella of maternity services or the poor cousin. And ideally, sometimes people really uh, refer it sometimes to as the fourth, fourth trimester, the postnatal care. However, we do know that many mothers do not feel supported, they're disappointed with the care particularly when they've had intervention, an instrumental or a caesarean section, do feel less satisfied with their postnatal care. We also know that women from what we call, and I, I've got this term when I first went to Australia, called backgrounds. And I like this. Um, it covers everyone, all cultures, culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds are at increased risk of physical and mental health problems. We need to start listening and looking at mother's experiences, 
because this needs to be considered when we are actually planning postnatal care services. I put this up because I do have, and I'm doing a lot of research at the moment in maternal mental health. We know the evidence is there. Approximately one in seven women will have a mental health problem during the childbirth continuum. We know women who already have mental health problems are at increased risk during pregnancy. We know that it is a continuum, is mental health. So prior to being pregnant, it's approximately 5% for anxiety and depression in women. This does increase to about 8 to 6%, the evidence shows. And then again, to 13% in the year following birth. So that leads me on to what does the future hold? What can we do to provide the best postnatal care possible? And yes, there is a lot of women disappointed, but there is a lot of women and families that are very happy with their postnatal care. As you can see, this young family in Brazil, when I was in Sao Paulo, that actually had a wonderful experience and they had particularly the care of the family. So I just want to mention the sustainable development goals. I know I think there is about 69 in total, but I want us to focus on goal three, good health and well-being. It's a tall order by 2013. We're 2022 now. So just than less than nine years, they want to reduce the global maternal mortality ratio to less than 70 per 100,000 births and also end preventable deaths in newborns and children under five and the countries are aiming to reduce ne neonatal mortality 12 per thousand by 2030. I think that needs a discussion. It needs striving for but will we will we make that? It may be that we have some further development goals with different time periods. So what can midwives do? I'm coming from a midwife's perspective because I've been a midwife most of my career. We do need to raise the awareness of the importance of maternal health and well-being. And I have wrote a lot about this. And I want you to focus on the parity of esteem concept. Now, the first person to bring this up and it drew my attention was Norman Lamb when he was the shadow health minister. And then Lucinda Berger took it on in Liverpool when she was a, a Labour MP there. And then I took it on with my son, um, Scott Steen, who's a psychologist. And basically, it's equal weighting for physical health and mental health. And often, with the medicalisation of childbirth, this is not the case. We need to focus on maternal and family inclusive care. I have done a lot of work uh, with Duncan Fisher and other international researchers and educators. And there's a link on this slide, which is familyincluded.com. And if you look this up, there is a lot of good studies that have been summarized. And most of them are in low and middle class, middle developing countries, which shocked me. Where's, where is it happening in the high developing countries? We really have to focus on local community involvement. Yes, I saw that um, Marion Knight mentioned about all the professionals working together. It's not just professionals, it's everyone. It's everyone's responsibility. 
And we really have to look at community involvement, befriending and supporting women. A really good project in Northern Ireland, the community mothers demonstrated this. Who is the mother and family going to listen to? The health professional? Who they're going to be influenced by? Or their family? We have to look at this. And that means that we need to work better with what we call NGOs, your non-government organisations, or you might refer to them as the third sector charities in the UK. Community engagement is vital. And if you do not take anything else from my presentation tonight, remember this. It takes a village to bring a child up. And sometimes in the capitalist consumer Western world, we have forgotten this. However, I do have to mention the impact of COVID-19. Modified healthcare globally. And we are up against all health services. So there has been restrictive practices in maternity care that Elizabeth mentioned. And this has affected women's decisions and choices. They have been limited. We have to learn lessons here. There has been an increase in medicalization. There, uh, yes, a knee-jerk reaction. And there has actually been reported now the European Centre of Disease Prevention and Control in 2020, there has been an increase in cesarean section in some countries. There's also been reports about babies being separated from mothers. And we have to question this and why and the evidence to support this. Yes, we need a balance with, like you said, safety, effectiveness, what um, Elizabeth mentioned, but it's that nurturing and that care. And it all is stems from continuity of care. Postnatal care is part of the childbirth continuum. And we need to engage with fathers, families and communities. So I draw your attention to the NMC standards of proficiency for midwives 2019. And I've had to come back and update myself with this. Continuum of care, it's knitted throughout, isn't it? However, there is a change, there is a shift, because you remember throughout um, the last few decades, it has really been focused on clinical risk. We're risk averse. So we need to address this, and it has. There's no talk of women being high risk or low risk. It's more around universal care. All women are vulnerable, but some have disadvantages. And it is based on the Lancet series and also the framework for quality maternity and newborn health. So it does say the care for all women and additional care for women and newborn infants with complications. And I would recommend that you do read it. I will be reading it uh, as being an educator and a researcher, but I have had a look through um, and I think it's more positive. Now, I want to draw your attention to the State of the World's Midwifery 2021 report. Um, mm, remember the 2030 um, development goals, sustainable development goals? Well, this is what we're up against. Sexual reproductive, maternal, neonatal and allied health workforce in 194 countries of the world. It is estimated that there is 1.1 million workers short. Guess what? Highest shortage? Midwives. 900,000. Therefore, there is urgent investment 
into education and training. If we're short on midwives, who's going to educate them? We need educators to train and educate midwives. Management, how are we going to lower it? I've got many friends in midwifery management and they are struggling too. Regulation, the working environment, our leadership and governance also really needs looking at and service delivery. We know that midwives, with support from others, because we cannot do it alone, could deliver 90% of the sexual, reproductive, maternal, neonatal and allied health interventions. Yet, at the moment, currently, we actually deliver 10%. We're 10% representative of this workforce. And this lack of work to meet the demands for 2030, and then to top it off with that COVID-19 pandemic, have we not? That has reduced the health workforce and it does need to be prioritised. And we have had, as with other health professionals, some midwives that have lost their lives throughout the world. And, it's, and it, this report is dedicated to the health workers that have lost their lives during the COVID-19 pandemic. So this is my last slide, the future. And I was trying to remember when I did this, um, and it was, I was at Chester University then. I'd just left Leeds, St. James's, and we did a big campaign for more midwives. So it had been in about 2009. I just want to quote the NMC proficiency standards. Evidence shows the positive contribution midwives make to the short and long-term health and well-being of women, newborn, infants, and families. We have to, we're not very good at campaigning, but we have to have a voice. We have to start, I've noticed lately, I saw in um, the Houses of Parliament that some midwives, some MPs were starting to take up this. Mm. We've seen that, I've seen it in Australia too. Mm. And we have to do it. We, we, yes, we educate and train to nurture and care, but we have to actually look at this. We have to look at media. I'm not really with the social media, but I'm having to think, well, yes, this is the way we are communicating if we're going to have to make a difference. Postnatal care is part of the continuum. Yes, there is problems. There's always been issues, but there are things. And I want to just quote what my mother once said to me when I was a young girl. Out of small acorns, big oak trees grow. <laughs> Oak tree is an English tree, actually. It's one of the four. Ash, beech, elm and oak. I remember learning that um, at school. So we can make the difference and we have to start somewhere. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. And we'll hopefully take some questions now. Okay, thank you so much. Well, both Mary and Elizabeth, thank you so much. That was really like a whistle whistle stop tour from both of you but I'm, I'm very aware that Elizabeth has to to be rushing um so if I could just I mean I think you you were talking about something about um in in the context of what you were talking about Elizabeth I mean what's in my mind at the moment having listened to both of you is the, the and, and Mary was talking about the campaigning and being really politically aware and I think that's very much where the user groups such as the NCT can, can work with midwives and, and families as well. But I just wondered if you wanted to say anything about leadership within this con the context of postnatal care before we let you run away. 
<laughs> you, Stu. I would. I just feel it's kind of trying to stand back from the way that um, the maternity journey for women is managed. And during from from the beginning of their pregnancy being confirmed or the booking um, uh, appointment that they have uh, right through till after the birth, as I understand it, but correct me if I'm wrong, a woman has a lead professional who is in charge of her care. For most women, a midwife, sometimes she, she may have a very complicated time and, and she needs to have um, uh, a medical specialist who's involved and maybe the lead professional. What staggers me is that for those six to eight weeks, which are the minimum amount of, of postnatal care needed, as Mary said, it often is considerably longer than that. But that is essentially the better births maternity policy said we'll go through to the six to eight week uh, maternal check in primary care. But during that time, often the most vulnerable for women, um, high number of deaths, unfortunately, neonatal deaths as well. Between that birth and those six weeks, women can often get care from four different institutions. It could easily be the hospital midwives, sometimes community midwives from a different trust if they've moved out of area for whatever reason, health visitors who come through the local authority and are commissioned in a completely different way, uh, and their GP working in a practice which, again, has a contract with the NHS, but they're not, they all come from different backgrounds and have different appointment systems and their computer systems don't necessarily talk to each other. And that's why we have this awful fragmentation where we know, for example, from Embrace reports that where a woman has died a preventable death it's because she's fallen through one of those gaps there is no safety net and the safety net needs leadership and accountability and I feel you know there, there are midwives who will lead on midwifery postnatal care and health visitors and so on but there isn't someone who leads that care through that really quite short period of six weeks and the woman has to navigate it um with a newborn baby. It's uh, pretty scary, actually. It is very scary. And yeah, why yeah. does it happen? Mm -hmm. Just get some leadership with proper accountability in there, make sure that care is coordinated and those gaps that women fall through are tied up and made one seamless journey for new mums, please. And I think that's that would be our aim. And I'm, I think with continuity of care, being addressed that's possibly one of the the kind of magic bricks in your palace uh, i personally I think hope. continuity is as important if not more so in postnatal yeah because absolutely. there are so many questions and um just as i said in the presentation just not knowing what is normal mm. and sometimes that can be really really quick to solve but if it isn't there, it expands into anxiety and worry and doing the wrong thing or feeling she's doing the wrong thing and guilt and, um, you know, that adding to the mental health troubles and sometimes uh, physical clinical problems arising. And that's a beautiful challenge you've laid down for us, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. Yeah, go and do it. <laughs> a bit of leadership. We do have a couple of questions that have come in. And they're probably more focused at Mary mm -hmm. um, because someone 
who is Martha, hi Martha, is saying, I wanted to ask regarding the ratio of midwives to postnatal care, in postnatal care. And I th I'm not sure if Mary will know the exact answer to this one. No, because it will vary. But I do know on postnatal wards, often uh, when I'm speaking to midwives, there may be one or two on, say, a late shift. Um, there might be uh, a little bit better staffed on the wards. Some midwives complain that they might after if labour ward is busy or uh, that they might have to transfer and do care. Mm. Community midwives may have to come in. Um, at the moment, um, no. Um, it will vary from trust to trust if you're talking about the United Kingdom um, mm. with actual postnatal care. So that's why I question, because I was a community midwife for 16 years in Leeds, and often many of my women, because I was caseload holding, would come home straight away from labour ward or birth on there and have the continuity care that Elizabeth talked about. You saw that slide where I did my first home birth in 1986. Well, a lot of you here, and you'll remember, Sue, we used to actually go, and there was no evidence to support it, but we used to go in for the first three days twice a day. Twice a day, yes. In the morning, <laughs> in the afternoon, and then daily up to day 10, and That's then, it. you know, and 28, yeah, then selective postnatal care came in. Mm. Um, and it is that is supposed to be person-centred person care, what you're talking about, Elizabeth. But there is a shortage of midwives and it will go um, into the labour ward and the antenatal. Mm. And you're right, maybe, you know, it needs equal weighting, does the postnatal care. But mm. a lot of the antenatal care, and yes, we're caring for the mother, but had it become because of the assessments that we do and the clinical risks more focused on the developing baby, than the mother, the way the systems were working and that we have to go back, that the mother is at the core of the care mm. and it is the continuum. Mm. Postnatal care has to be part of the continuity of care. Mm. Yes, you're right, there is fragmentations. So we need to address how we're doing it. Do we need a lot, you know, going to a postnatal care? In the Sunday Times this week, when a woman says that she was left and she didn't even have a drink of water, I'm a researcher. Okay. Are we doing more harm than good? I would ask you as a researcher. Mm. Therefore, would she be better off at home? I know when I, I went home at six hours after my babies. And do you know why? Because I wanted to sleep in my own bed. <laughs> I wanted, and I'm from Leeds, I wanted to go home and have a nice cup of tea when I wanted <laughs> a cup of tea. There's something to be said for that, actually. So that, that sort of, that's really well answered. Thank you so much. I hope that I'm really sorry, but I think I am going to have to say I think you will have to goodbye to everybody. Thank you so much. But audience, see, see you be again assured soon. that we're going to have Elizabeth back. And thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining us. Been thank fantastic. you for asking me. I'm bringing the palace. <laughs> and hope the comedy is good. <laughs> okay, we have a, a couple of questions. Rebecca Smith. Uh, has a very good question and says, do you have any advice for a student midwife who's passionate about postnatal care and would like to be involved in policy making? How about that one, Mary? Yeah, in policy making, um, I think, well, obviously, like you said, Sue, um, the professional organisations, there is the RCM, isn't there? They always did have a student representative, yeah. didn't they, that did all the policies when we worked there. Um, 
there. Um, actually, you know, um, I'm just thinking when I said put up that last slide, midwives matter and campaigning. I don't know. I've got a feel, I've got something feeling coming on here, Sue, that we could do something, you know, around oh. policies. I mean, we have. We're very lucky in England to have a chief midwife. We are. We are We're extremely lucky. lucky. And I know in Australia they are trying for it. Yeah. Um, so, again, if you really want to get in touch with policies and everything, you've got a chief midwife. Um, she's very approachable. Yes. Couldn't she? You could yes. actually contact her. Well, and go and, go and have a, a day shadowing. I know that mm. uh, some see it actually because I know how busy Jackie Dunkley Bent is. But she does have a team and there's lots of senior midwives who would be very happy, Rebecca, to have someone shadowing them and learn a little bit more about the policy. But on the smaller scale, you can get involved locally um, when there's a policy being developed. And, and now is a very good time because a lot of units are looking at their policies as nice published, for example, the postnatal guidelines. Trusts will be looking at their guidelines and will be very interested in people being involved. And if they're not interested, you have to put yourself forward and ask questions. You see, Mary, that's how Mary started. Ask questions. Always, always. So thank you for that. I'm going to got a comment from Gemma. It's a, a comment more than a question. Gemma Proctor. Hi, Gemma. Um, it's nice to see you again. I would like to say more balanced shifts, if anything, more staff at night in hospitals, also less of a drop in ratio from labour ward to postnatal ward. And I think actually that's a good point, um, Gemma, because and I think that's really what um, Mary was saying, because often and I think this is the kind of illustration of the sort of um, lower in, interest in postnatal care antenatal and labour ward tend to pull most staff because that's where the focus tends to be but you're right we need more and that's I think what we said this evening actually from the start and we have another comment from Jessica O'Keefe and she's saying having continuity for a mum who may be experienced issues not only gives them a safe space with someone familiar but also not constantly having to explain the issue to someone new at every visit which could be exhausting itself Jessica, that's a fantastic point. And I hope you'll listen in in a couple of weeks to the continuity session, because I think that's one of the really key things about continuity and how for, as a midwife and, and Mary, I know would agree, it's lovely to work in that way. So you really you don't have to ask all the questions either. But I'm going to do one final question. Uh, we've got a Jill Phillips says great presentation. And she's talking about having some Whose Shoes workshops coming on in Midlands, which are great, which are very good. And that's uh, women and families are falling through gaps. So I, I think those Whose Shoes workshops are fantastic. So thank you, Jill, for that. I've got one question I'm going to throw out um, Jen, from Jenny Hall. I don't know if I'll I know say Jenny. This Jenny. I know you know Jenny. Hi, Jenny. <laughs> and she says, I come from a time where post cesarean section or difficult birth, women would stay in for seven to ten days. Oh, don't you remember that? Mary, Mary you remember. Well, funny, sure. yeah, <laughs> now they go enough. home at 48 hours. Do yeah. we know the rates of readmissions and problems after early discharge? 
Well, Elizabeth said 4.4% thought with the cesarean sections, didn't she? And there was an increase in fe- infection. But it's funny, I've just been to London because um, my friend got married at St. Paul's and um, she is a midwife as well. And I was walking from King's Cross and I saw the old hospitals in London and it still had lying in. Yeah. In the stone, in written in the stone. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I thought, oh, wow. And do you remember? Because they would be leaning Lying. to the 10 days. However, mm. we did more harm than good again, if you remember, that's because true. that's when women got deep vein thrombosis because they weren't moving around and being active. Um, but I just found it really interesting when I passed the hospital and it still has lying in hospital mm. in the stonework. That's great, isn't it? <laughs> That was a moment so, as well. <laughs> it was a bit of a moment. Now I'm going it was to, a moment. <laughs> I'm going to, um, we've had so many people making comments really, and, and Marla Marjoria says, how about getting grandparents on board? That's perfect. Yeah. See what you've started now, Mary. I it's family, this, family inclusive, isn't it? It's the, the dare, family, it? the society. Mary's really something. It's been so good. And I'm, I do apologise for the technical issues that have marred the so having quite as much time as we would normally have but I thank both Mary and Elizabeth for their patience and so their passion that they've been sharing this evening and both of them now I have them in my toils they'll be back they will be back now is it Arnold Schwarzenegger that says I'll be back yes yes (laughs) the terminator (laughs) but not terminating doing wonderful things much better so Mm. Just to let you remind you, the resources are available on the website and the um, the whole presentation will be available to you after that. If you haven't booked for the 1st of March London um, Festival, do book in as soon as you can. Next week, we're going to be looking at perinatal mental health. So it's a nice little, little follow-on from this week. Um, and in the meantime, we're going to just play a little clip about Matflix going large I talked about Matflix right at the beginning Um, but in the meantime please do stay safe take care of yourselves and, and all the people you love give them an extra hug tonight if you can and we'll see you next week same place same time take care thank you for joining us for the maternity and midwifery hour This podcast has been made possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk. This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.